0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Tunnel Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and I'm joined in studio alongside, uh, he's an Olympic gold medalist. You might see him talking about beach volleyball all over television. And by the way, he just won, he just three-peated as national champions, USC beach, uh, women's beach volleyball, uh, three-time straight national champions that came in this year as an underdog. we got Dane Blanton in studio. Uh, Dane, thanks for joining us, man.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, Exciting times, to say the least.
0: Yeah, it has to be. I mean, just absolutely crazy. It was on ESPN uh, Saturday morning. If people didn't get to check it out, uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, which we're going to talk about in a little bit because that's a little strange that they're doing beach volleyball in vo- Alabama. I'll get your thoughts on that. But uh, I mean, you. this was the year that you guys are supposed to be a rebuilding year, right? You guys come in as underdogs and uh, end up winning the championship over, you know, a lot of USC fans will like this, number one uh, ranked UCLA.
1: Yeah, it was a real special year because we won in 21, which surprised a lot of people. Then we didn't really lose anybody. So in 22, the stakes were high. The pressure was high. I think anything less than than a win would have been a bit disappointing for all the players. So we end up winning back-to-back in 22. But then we lose 12 players, if you can believe it, on a roster that contains about... 18 to to maybe 22 at most. So we lose 12 players. We fully have to rebuild. Seven freshmen come in. Three grad transfers. And really, myself and uh, my assistant coach, Gustavo Hocha, we said, hey, we need to have accelerated learning here if we're going to be in the mix. And uh, so we gave... gave it all we could to this freshman and they they bought in as a team and you know we just had an incredible run and things came together at the right time
0: yeah the uh watching on television uh if so people don't know if you're not too familiar with the beach volleyball and the format i guess it was a little different this year right single elimination they thought maybe a few more upsets could happen but you know there's Beach volleyball was around for a few years before it became a a sanctioned NCAA sport. It's been seven years now, and you guys have won five NCAA championships. UCLA won the other two. Um, So they thought maybe this would be the year of some upsets with that format, but apparently not. You guys both made the finals again.
1: You know, it was interesting because I was on the NCAA committee when the vote came up to make it single elimination once we got to that field of, of 16. And I thought it was a fantastic idea to go single elimination usually the winner of the winner's bracket ends up winning the tournament anyway. Um, A lot of the other places kind of can get jumbled around. But I, I just thought it made more sense. You know, a lot of fans that are becoming new to the sport, they don't understand how a team can lose on a Saturday and then be playing on Sunday, right? So... That's why I thought it very important to go to single elimination. It simplifies it. Logistically, it makes it a lot easier for the NCAA to, to run. And you're right, though. We thought there would be a lot more upsets. Uh, we were hoping, of course, we didn't get upset. But I didn't see really any upsets across the board. And uh, But the stakes were high.
0: The drama was high. And I'll tell you what, the pressure was through the roof. Yeah, the pressure. So, if you did get to watch on ESPN, I guess it was Sunday morning, right? The yeah. the finals are Sunday morning. I, my my apologies for that. Um, if you didn't get to watch uh, on Sunday, it was really interesting because the way they they format it was if you have ten players for each team that go. There's you know pairs one, two, three, four, and five. You're playing doubles. Uh, against the other one, so that, you know, similar to when you're having a tennis match, you have your number one singles and your number two singles, or whatever. Uh, but you have your your number two pairs and number four pairs playing at the same time, and I don't think you were I, you were at least not favored in one of those matches. End yeah. up winning two and go up two nothing. So then it's sort of like you only need to win one more of the, the ones, the threes, and the fives, yeah. and then lose the next two. So it was like uh, pretty – there was a lot of drama there where it seems like there was upsets within the, the pairings of USC and UCLA.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Uh, we had a, a really great lineup that we thought going into the national championship, a lineup that uh, no one really had ever seen. We had tweaked it a little bit. But, yeah, you'd have to say that uh, the number two team – Uh, from UCLA was undefeated, so they were favored to win, right? Yeah, they
0: had lost a match all year, right? Yeah, Yeah. they
1: were undefeated on the year, so they were the favorite for sure. And the way they do it is a coin flip. Will it be two and five going first, or will it be three, I'm sorry, two and four or three and five? It's just a coin flip, and um, so not to give anyone an advantage. And when I saw that two and four were up first, I knew that uh, we had our work cut out for us, but... We uh, stepped up, like I said, at the right time. Won those at the two and the four, which, from a, a, a psychological advantage, you know, it's you're feeling good. But at the same time, UCLA is backed into a corner, so they're going to play a lot freer in that second flight when the one three and five team are playing and that's what they did they played spectacular volleyball at the one position they were on fire at the five position and then all of a sudden we're in the third set on the threes and it all comes down to that so it can sway back and forth and television loved it ESPN did a fantastic job covering it and um, it, it was just a lot of drama and a lot of fun for the viewer
0: yeah, I remember watching, and I was just, you know, on my couch, I was like, "Oh wow!" Uh, and, I, you, and I guess your number one team was doing good all year. They sort of struggled maybe a little bit later on, and then you know that was maybe part of it. But it comes down to the threes, and I know you've said about the twins, like you know, as far as competitors go, there's no one else that you'd rather have out there for an important match like that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so Megan Craft and Delaney Maple, our number ones, were, I want to say, 30-something and one on the season going into the tournament. They ended up... Facing a very tough TCU team where they lost, and they faced a very tough UCLA team, so not the way they wanted to end it. But they were the, they were our rock the entire year. You know, they were always posting a point and very confident in them. But they they faced two teams that were absolutely on fire. That meant somebody else had to step up, and and really post a point for us. And it came down to the wire for the Twins. They had a stoppage against LMU, a lightning stoppage, where they had to come (laughs) out uh, and finish a third set where they were leading 10-7. to Then they had a crazy set versus TCU in the semis where they won 29-27. to And then in the finals, all of a sudden, everything is on their court. And it's interesting, you know, when you look in their eyes, they love to compete. They love to be on the biggest stage. And I was very comfortable having them on the court and it on the line with them in control because I have so much confidence in their abilities.
0: How does the coaching for that work when you have multiple pairs going at once? Can you you, you bop around between courts or how how does that work? Well, I mean, it's a fantastic question. So Early rounds,
1: I like to call it the blitz, right? They run (laughs) all five courts at the same time. Remember, we have a head coach and two assistant coaches, so we only can have three coaches. So if it's a blitz and there's five courts going, some of the courts are not going to have a coach, and things can go very quickly. They can unravel very quickly, and you don't have a lot of control that's why I like the flights, the way that the finals was was done. You had the twos and the fours play to completion. So at the end of that first flight, it can't be over. It's either 1-1 or 0-2, right? So everybody's still alive. And then you have that second flight, which starts 10 minutes after the first flight. So you're able to have a coach on every court throughout the entire finals. And you feel uh, at least a, a little bit more of a sense of control.
0: Yeah. They, for... I'm not super familiar with tennis, but I know you're pretty much out there on an island like if you're yeah. playing. The coach isn't really involved. How involved can you be and what sort of, uh, or your assistant coaches, and what sort of things are you saying stuff? Is it only on side switches or yeah. is it timeouts? Is that the only time you're kind of really talking to them?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. If you're a fan, you'd be like, wow, there's not a lot of coaching going on. So you're kind of cheerleading during the, the play. And then we have what's called a walk and talk. So when we switch sides, that entire walking from one side to the other that's why you want to do it nice and slow you can coach all you want that's where you get the information okay Okay. hey they're blocking your angle we want to go here let's serve this one this player down the line but you can't blurt that out during play you can only do it on side switches or or timeouts
0: okay yeah so you're not like hey shoot you know whatever. But are you, is there usually strategy like, Hey, we're working her more than working her. Oh yeah, absolutely. And
1: sometimes you're going to go one direction, not because that player might be the weaker player. Maybe their partner is a weaker setter. Yeah. Um, So there's all sorts of strategy that goes in. Some people serve, you know, can pass a, a traditional topspin jump serve better than they can a float serve. So the type of serve you're giving a player is important. The, the right and left shoulder, a lot of people don't know this but some people pass better off of a certain shoulder. Their inside maybe right shoulder rather than their left side. So you want to target that weakness and exploit it as much as you can.
0: The uh, I and mean, obviously weather comes into uh, to play with the wind and all that. I mean, I was just I'm down at the beach last night coaching like the little city stuff and the wind is blowing sideways. We're trying to teach setting. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I, d- I know the weather was Sort of insane down there. What was what was that like? There was lightning delays and all that. Yeah. And how much did that affect play? The thing
1: is crazy. I mean, Gulf Shores will test even the seasoned volleyball athlete because <laughs> you're going to get every type of – let's say, condition that you're going to see. You could see 15 to 25-mile-an-hour winds at any time. You can get rain at any moment. You can get lightning. And if it strikes within, I believe, six to eight miles, they shut you down for a half an an hour until it's an all-clear. And then if it's clear and sunny and nice, then you're dealing with the heat and the humidity, which can go through the roof. So all of these elements are at play. And so... You know, it's challenging because we play at a, I guess you'd say, a very um, sheltered facility on Figueroa, where when I say sheltered, it's not exposed to some of the, you know, in the late afternoon, the winds that come. So we like to get down to the beach at least once a week to expose our players to... The elements uh because if you show up in the wind and you're not prepared for it, it can be a disaster, and so really, a big focus for us is having the players embrace whatever challenges come their way and there was challenges abound this weekend i mean i've I've been to Gulf Shores I think eight years in a row um as you know a volunteer assistant early on as a broadcaster in twenty nineteen and then the last three years uh, as a head coach and I I think we got it all this year. Uh, You know, it just every year, sometimes a a storm comes through. This year, it was a storm in the morning. Then there was another one coming in the afternoon. And then tomorrow morning, it's not going to be clear. And so it was a lot to deal with. And that's what really surprised me how we were able to handle it and and be real mature about it and understand you got to embrace it because everybody's
0: dealing with the same stuff. I was kind of tweeting there. And I'm like, I still don't understand why they hosted it there. Mm-hmm. And I've had mm-hmm. some people on Twitter that were like, hey, man, you should check it out. It's pretty yeah. cool. And I'm yeah. like, I get it. But like the Mecca of college, I mean, of, uh, of beach volleyball is Southern California. Like yeah. why not have it here? But what were your thoughts on like kind of, or if, if you know why it's been hosted there for so long, they're coming to Huntington yeah. Beach, I think next year or the year after that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what is it like down there? Is it a cool place to, to yeah. play? You know, you've you've won a gold medal, like you yeah. play beach volleyball all over the world. Like it's a cool place to play.
1: Yeah. I mean it's a it's a very valid question because when you hear Gulf Shores Alabama, you don't <laughs> think beach volleyball. I mean right. let's let's Be clear about that. There's no question about it. But it feels like you're just in Florida because you do fly into Pensacola. You drive across the border to get there. And once you were there, I mean, you saw how it translates on TV. It's absolutely beautiful with the water and the the white sands. And and it's just it's almost an open landscape. And and it's almost like a set, right? ESPN even brings in palm trees and, and kind of spruces it up. It's it's a pretty amazing look when it's ready to go. But um, I think the reason that they started going to Gulf Shores is they probably bid on it early, before it was an NCA event. And I'm speculating now, but I, I, you remember that big oil spill? Oh, yeah. Uh, years ago, BP, I believe. Um I think those areas got a lot of um, money for tourism and have brought a lot of events there. I think they have some music festivals. And like I said, I'm totally speculating. I don't know if that's how it ended up there. But I thought it was cool after they created it with the AVCA, when it flipped over to being certified by the NCAA, the NCAA – somewhat, I guess, rewarded them and continued to have it there, which I thought was really cool. And they do a fantastic job. It's right in front of this great bar called The Hangout. Okay, There's a condos right there. So we can watch from our balconies, some of the teams, and you can walk right down and get on the court. So don't have to worry about driving down to the beach. And then... um it's just a, it's just a really cool spot. In 2025, like you said, it will move to Huntington Beach, and I think that will increase uh, attendance, no question about it, because it's a hard place to get to. Even though it's oh. such a beautiful place and it's such a great place, and it's been hosted and they've done a fantastic job, it's never easy getting there. Uh, I've had delays and. You usually have to go through Dallas or Houston, and there's always weather going on. So it can be a really long trip.
0: Yeah. You told me if they have to bring in palm trees, mm, I don't know about that. Like if you're like importing palm trees, but it still, it does look cool. in the White yeah. sand Beach, and I like the tradition of jumping in the water and all that. It seems like, I got the picture of of the, the girls all jumping in the yeah. water and everything. It seems like it's... uh a really fun one when you do get to practice so if you know when i was in school and uh you know when i was at usc like that was a parking lot where you guys the the uh, beach yeah. volleyball stadium now and there's yeah. like a parking structure there like you said it's right on figueroa so you don't get a lot of elements when you do practice are you going to like the south are you going to like hermosa manhattan or where, like where do you guys go or you kind of move yeah. it around a little bit
1: yeah we usually go down to hermosa um, Uh, go early morning you know sometimes on a Saturday to get down there before the weekend warriors are down there playing because you know you don't want you (laughs) don't want to get in their way right you don't want to get in their way and uh, you want them to be happy that you're down there using their courts rather than uh you know on the court when they want to play and so you know how a beach volleyball is it's a very kind of close-knit culture it's um you know, it's kind of like surfing, right? You go surf at the wrong spot, you better you better respect who, who's whose point that is, right? And uh, similar with volleyball, especially in the South Bay, there's certain courts that are are really. Um, I guess, you know, kind of run by certain people. You know, I remember when I was growing up uh, in Marine Street, it was uh, Tim Hovland and, and Mike Dodd had a court down there that— You didn't
0: mess with it. Yeah, no. he didn't mess with it. I mean, you
1: might play on it, but if they showed up, you better get off the court, you know. And then uh, Sinjin and Randy uh, Stoklos, who played up at uh, State Beach, uh, there was that, you know, one court up there, and so I remember, you know, because I grew up down in Laguna Beach, there was always the top pros playing on a court, and if you were new or not good enough, you know, don't even think about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know like a lot of uh, Olympians from around the world will come and play in Hermosa, and I I've been told, you know, like, it, the sand just very deep, right? So if you're going to be like a marathon runner, it's probably better to run in Denver. A lot yeah. of people like to Train in Hermosa, right? Because it's it's harder to jump out of that than if you're in like a parking lot in Chicago where there's just like an inch of sand.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's another thing. Gulf Shores, anywhere in Florida, we call it a jumper's beach, right? It's Um, really hard packed. It's really hard packed. But you're absolutely right. I'd say the deepest sand that I've ever played in is probably, you know, Manhattan, Hermosa, Laguna Beach is very deep as well. Um, there's a lot of areas in Southern California. And, you know, and it's funny too, as a coach now, you get a lot of recruiting tapes, right? So you have to take into consideration what surface some of these girls oh, are playing on because so like the they're banging balls, <laughs> right? And then they get out to Southern California <laughs> and they, you know, it's hard to clear the net. So um, you want to you definitely take into consideration what uh, surface you're playing on but if you train in the deep stuff you're going to be better off on every surface just as you were saying like altitude training right yeah if you train there you're going to be you know really good cardiovascularly anywhere that you go
0: do you think that's going to impact um the what now that the you know national championships in two years like you said 2025 will be in southern california it's it's going to be different right you're going to be it's probably going to be a lot harder Mm -hmm. um it's Probably an advantage for Southern California teams, even though they've won all the championships anyway. But yeah. uh, you know, if you're in Florida, you're you're playing on more hard pack stuff. I know we're getting like a nitty-gritty of beach volleyball, but I no. love this stuff. But anyway, that, I yeah. mean
1: that's that's a very, <laughs> very valid point you bring up. Um It'll be more challenging in the deep sand, especially if you haven't played in the deep sand. I mean, similar to what we talked about earlier, if we don't expose our players to the wind, then they're going to be in trouble, and, and you get a ton of wind in Florida, and in Alabama, you don't get quite as much wind in Southern California until the afternoon. So that's the fun thing about the sport is there's so many elements: the surface, the conditions, the heat, the wind, the side changes, the sun, you don't, you don't see the skyball very often anymore but that's what people used to use when the sun was up there in the wrong uh, position so uh, it's it's a lot of fun throwing all of those elements in and trying to come up with a game plan
0: you guys uh, so right now the commencement stuff's going on at USC today uh, on Friday and uh, the athletic graduation uh, day was yesterday what was that I know you you went to that what was that like for you
1: Well, it was awesome. I mean, there's such a buzz, right? Winning three in a row is something that has never been done on a women's sport at USC. So three-peating. So... President Folt was at the ceremony and she was fired up and mentioning um, the uh, the performance by our student athletes in Gulf Shores. And then our AD, Mike Bone, who's done just an amazing job. So fun to, uh, to coach under his leadership and the support that we get. Uh, he was there and fired up and. It was cool. It's fun to see our student-athletes graduate and move on to the next level. Some will continue playing. Others, that'll be a wrap for their their career. But the biggest thing that we focus on at SC is is really providing a a world-class experience for the student-athlete. And I think we've done that
0: the last few years, and hopefully we can continue to do so. To do that and US a lot of the people that are watching this or listening to this, um, they're USC football fans. That's you know, primarily what we do. We, it was great to have you on last year talking about this championship and, and another one, but they'd really get into recruiting and they follow it. They follow where these high school players are going and all of that. What for 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 you, like what is recruiting like? I mean, you just go over to Miracosta and try to get the best yeah. girls from there. <laughs> and you know, obviously winning championships helps. Uh, but you know, what's the whole kind of recruiting recruiting process like?
1: Well, it's getting very interesting uh, because the sport's growing at such a rapid rate. But on June 15th, after their sophomore year, is when you can contact an athlete, not before. OK, so you have to wait. So next month on June 15th, we'll, we'll start heavy in it and we'll be recruiting the class of 25. So we've already recruited the class of of 23 and 24, um, but the hotbeds. I'll tell you our Southern Cal, um, Texas and Florida. There are so many tournaments, there's so many players coming out of there and um, I've kind of really reached out as far as I can. you know we have, we have players from Florida right now. We have uh, multiple players from Texas, um, Arizona. And I would say Southern Cal, well, I can't say it's in the minority because Delaney Maple, San Diego, Megan Craft, San Diego, the Norse Twins, Newport Beach. Um, but after that, it starts, um, it starts really
0: expanding all across the country. The, uh, it's changed. College, I mean, college football recruiting has changed. Uh, I think across the board with NIL, there's opportunities their uh, transfer portal, you said you had some grad transfers kind of come in. How much does that change recruiting? Like, you know how much is Nil involved with beach volleyball?
1: Yeah, I have some players that have Nil deals. I don't know all the intricate details of it, but they're definitely some marketable players that have um really embrace the Nil space, and it's kind of the Wild West as well right now, trying to figure out the rules and and they're trying to get everything in order. So we kind of leave it up to the athlete to to do that thing, but it opens up the door to you know, to have some more movement. Uh, and because you know we at the end of the day we have six scholarships, beach volleyball does. Oh, okay, And uh, we have 10 starters. so usually we're giving partial scholarships. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that the sport is growing. It's the fastest emerging sport that the NCAA has ever picked up. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I think if they can increase those scholarship limits to 12 – Uh, it would really blow the roof off. And then you'd see a lot of more programs because it's a win-win for everybody. You always talk about Title IX and uh, being in compliance. So it never hurts having more women's sports and more women's scholarships to equal things out.
0: Have you run into, uh, you know, there's usually with men's sports, like with baseball, and I've talked to people in the track area where you have very limited scholarships Mm -hmm. and it's an expensive private school. Is that something that's you know an issue that you've run into as well
1: well absolutely that's that's a big challenge right because schools are not created equal in terms of how much they cost and um but the 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 real important thing at USC is the reputation and the quality education and that's what we really push because it means a lot to get a degree i mean you're a grad you know the doors that get open being part of the USC family and um if if you're smart, when you're at USC, you want to meet a lot of people because <laughs> you know the family runs deep, right? All across the world, and and it can open so many doors. So, uh, the quality education is really an important aspect, and we're seeing a lot of pe- a lot of players will want to come, even if it's after their graduate program to get their um their uh, I'm sorry their their undergrad they come here to get their graduate degree. Oh. And with COVID, remember, with COVID, sports stopped, but school never stopped. So a lot of players have what we call a COVID year left, and this last year will be the last of them, okay. right? And then it will exhaust. So that transfer portal, the grad students looking to play one more year, that's a thats a hot market for us, and, and I think we have to try to um, – to take advantage of it on this last year coming up. And then things will settle down and people will be back on their four years of, uh, of eligibility and not have that kicker COVID year anymore. But we, we, I think have navigated well and, and that those grad students have helped us tremendously.
0: Uh, look, I know we got to get you out of here. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, going on when you graduate and moving on, um, What's the state of like professional beach volleyball around the world? Uh, and you know, are there opportunities for uh, s- some of your graduates to go on and, and play professionally?
1: Yeah, after the twenty two season last year was we couldn't have asked for anything better. Julia Scholes went out, went out to win on the AVP tour. She did it with uh, Gina Urango, who was the first actually. She's some history. She was the first beach volleyball scholarship athlete. Um, oh, oh back in 2012. So her and Gina Urango won. I had Haley Harward win with Tina Gradina on the AVP tour. And this is within a month and a half of graduation. Tina Gradina was from Latvia and she went to the Olympics and got fourth place. And so the AVP tour is uh, doing their thing this year. And the international circuit, as you know, there's a few different tiers. Uh, The Elite 16 is the top tier. And we have... Uh, Sarah Hughes and Kelly Chang, who are USC alums, leading the charge right now for the Paris Olympics. So the international game's strong. Um, The AVP is doing their thing. And it's going to be interesting, Paris in 24, how much of a boost that gives. And if the powers that be can uh, capitalize even more so than years past, when when you have that really Olympic pop, where the popularity really seems to spike.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Dan Blanton, uh, Olympic gold medalist, head coach of USC Women's Beach Volleyball, three peating. We got. I told him earlier he's got to update his shirt. There, it's <laughs> the back to uh, back, back to back.
1: We just got back. I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys had like gear already, like sitting there and stuff. So that was You been. never
1: want to jinx yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was right. Yeah, the, I know the Georgia marching band like met you when you guys flew back. That must yeah. have been uh, fun. Uh, that
1: was cool. I mean, the, the support, right? The whole family, the from the president of the university to the AD, all you know, to the band. There's so much support, and it was a team win. You know, we we didn't do it alone. We did it with a lot of support, and everybody really taking their role seriously. And um, hopefully, we can uh, be back in that position to have that opportunity again.
0: All right. Well, Dane Blanton, head coach of USC Women's Beach Volleyball. Uh thanks so much for coming in the studio. We got uh, we can show uh his oh, I don't think we're showing it. It's a, you know what? Come over here real Kate, quick. Come, yeah, here, yeah, man. come on, come say hi. Um come say hi to your dad. Yeah, this cute son Cade is here. Yes. Uh nice. You gonna play you volleyball, Cade? You gonna play volleyball? You can play? Yes. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> say fight on. don't. <laughs> All right. (laughs) right. Thanks for coming out, uh, Dan and Cade. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, we will talk to you next time. All right. appreciate it. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible.